Good morning, church family. Man, he is, he is good. It's good to gather together this morning, good to sing of uh, the faithfulness of God and his kindness to us. Well, there's this, uh, this frustrating part of every Spider-Man movie. And in, in, you, know, you know the part, it's where Spider-Man seems like, like he's doing the good thing, the right thing, he's trying to save people, but, but he gets caught in some sort of compromising like, place and, and it looks like he's actually doing the wrong thing. It looks like he's actually uh, causing the problem and that's right when, was it the Daily Bugle, gets their picture. And he's on the cover of the Daily Bugle. And he's not Spider-Man the hero. He's Spider-Man the menace, right? He's not a hero. He's the menace. But of course, uh, he's not the villain. He's saving them from the villain. He's trying to help them. Today, in, in these first two weeks in Luke chapter 15, uh, this is such an amazing chapter. The Pharisees, we, we're going to see them. They're convinced that they are the heroes of the story and that Jesus is the villain. They've got him pegged, they think. They think he's misrepresenting God. But as usual, they have it backwards. And in these these three iconic stories that Jesus tells, he's gonna expose their hypocrisy and in doing so, he's gonna show the extravagant grace of Christ, the extravagant love of the Father, so today we're going to hit the first two of these three parables, uh, a lost sheep and a lost coin. And of course, uh, it'll culminate next week uh, with what may be the most famous of Christ's parables, the lost son, or as you may know it, the prodigal son. And so, so today, as we look at uh, these parables about these other two lost items, I want us to zero in on three movements of our passage, and then we'll end with an application. So number one, uh, the Pharisees' complaint Number two, the father's heart. Number three, the shepherd's joy or the shepherd's rescue. And then lastly, number four, how this changes us. Let's, let's go to the Lord again and, and, and pray together uh, before we dig in. Uh, would you pray just for a moment that the Lord uh, would still your heart, that he would prepare you to hear, that he would speak to you in a way that, uh, that, the, that the words of scripture and that the truth of the gospel would be real today. So pray and ask him for that now. And now would you, would you pray for me um, that the Lord's words would, would uh, be spoken clearly, that anything uh, that I would bring would be pushed to the side uh, and that Christ would speak to us by his word through his spirit. Uh, so pray, pray for me now. Lord, we, we praise you that though our heart and our flesh may fail, that you are indeed our strength, our portion 
forever. You are what we have in this world. You are the treasure to us. You are the sustainer, the one who's with us. Uh, Lord, would you help us to draw near to you this morning? Would you lead us by your word to see Christ and to see all that you've done for us in him? So Father, we ask you this for your glory and for the name and fame of Christ. Amen. Well, we begin with number one, the Pharisees' complaint. So starting there in verse one, uh, we see, we kind of set the scene. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him, to Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. Now, is this not almost a summary statement of the whole gospel of Luke? The sinners drawing near to Jesus and to his teaching and the Jewish leaders complaining, grumbling, being offended, or even being angry and trying to kill him. But why? Why do we see this over and over again? Luke, Luke wants us to see it. He's compelling us to see that Jesus Christ is a man of mercy to sinners. That he loves sinners. Make no mistake, this is a seedy bunch of folks. Tax collectors, not a great reputation. These other sinners, probably people with uh, not reputable uh, professions. And in his love, he's telling them, he's showing them, this is what the Father is like for you. Meanwhile, the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, they, they, had, they had their tool in their tool bag, and that was the tool of the law. And by their misuse of the law, they were pressing it down upon sinners and saying to people, this is what God's like. Is there room for a sinner with God or even with a rabbi they would teach? No. God's response towards sinners, they would say, is to reject, to retreat from them. And therefore, what did they do? They rejected, they retreated from sinners. They were separatists. And certainly they derived some of these principles from the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. Uh, but in doing so, they, they, they were twisting the heart of the scriptures. Later, there would be a rabbinical rule that kind of crystallized this idea. Uh, this is how it went. It said this, let no man associate with the wicked, even to bring him near to the law. They're going, don't even go near to teach them. Sinners, they're a lost cause. And here you are, Jesus, eating with them, welcoming them in as a peer. And so they make this charge. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now we could read this like in a positive way as a compliment. Say, man, look at Jesus. He's welcoming, eating with sinners. Man, praise God. That's not what they're doing. This is derogatory. They're saying this man, this is an accusation. This man, he, he's a spineless teacher. Look at him hanging out with sinners. And their accusation shows us a couple things about the Pharisees. First, they don't understand God. We see this over and over again. They, they think that Jesus is, is wrong, that he's misrepresenting God. And then secondly, we see that I think their pride is hurt. We're the good guys. Jesus, you're out here glad-handing people. You, you make people think you're so great and that, that God would, would receive sinners like them. But we're, we're, hold, we're upholding the, the tradition and the law. We're the good guys. You're not. And I think their pride is hurt. Do you ever, ever kind of intervene that way when you see a friend of yours serving someone? Maybe ministering to a really difficult person and instead of responding with, man, praise God. Praise God. That's, that's the heart of Jesus. 
you, you want to, or maybe you do say something like, man, I think you're wasting your time. I think you're enabling them. I think pride does that to us. If pride will lead us to call someone else's humble service, it'll, we'll call it dumb. We'll say, that's, that's, that's a waste, that, don't do that. And, and we, in doing so, we're justifying our, our own unwillingness to get into the fray. But when we do that, like the Pharisees, we're, we are missing the heart of the Father. And Jesus knows they don't know the Father. He knows they don't understand him. And so as Jesus often does, he makes his point with a story, with, with three of them, actually. So our next two points are really the, the guts of these first two stories. Uh, so number two, the father's heart. Look at verse three. So he told them this parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? So like all of, other, all of Jesus' other parables, He's showing something about God. This is not a story about how to be a good shepherd. This is not a story about how great coins are. No, this is, there's got something for us to see here about the father. Um, but it's also something, he's using an illustration of something they would understand, something they would know. Uh, in first century Palestine, uh, everyone knew about shepherds. Like he's, he's, he's just describing standarding, standard shepherding behavior. They would get it. He, he's saying, look, think about your shepherd buddies. Not, not the hired hands, but the ones who actually own the sheep. Think about what they do. What happens uh, when they, they take their sheep out to pasture uh, and, and, they're, and as they bring them home, uh, they're getting back nearing home uh, and, and he does his, the shepherd does his usual head count. He's counting all of the sheep and he realizes, oh, I'm missing one. What does he do? And they, they know, they know what the shepherd would do. The shepherd goes out to find it. He's hoping that the sheep hasn't wandered too far. Uh, more likely than not, this sheep is stuck somewhere. Uh, probably stuck somewhere along the path. Hopefully only like a few minutes ago he got stuck and not like a few hours ago, but the shepherd's gotta go find him. Now, if you're, if you're new to uh, the Bible or to talk about sheep, um, it's okay. Like, I, I don't, I, some of you may have sheep, but I bet not many of us do. Uh, so if you're new to that, then just here we go. Like, sheep are dumb. Sheep are dumb. Uh, like, look at them. They actually don't look dumb. I, I, when I look at them, I think they have good thoughts going on in their heads, but, uh, but they, I don't think they do. And, uh, but you can, when you look at them, you go, that body is not gonna get out of a lot of tough situations. Like uh, legs, not a lot of leg, a lot of, lot of bulk there, uh, particularly at different times of the year. And, and they're not capable, but they also don't know it. Like they overestimate their abilities. Sheep will climb up somewhere to eat and have no idea how they're gonna get down. They just saw the grass. They might even fall and hurt themselves or die. They'll, they'll go down into a crevice because they saw grass having no idea, how will I get out? And so the shepherd knows, oh no, my sheep is probably stuck somewhere. He's probably in a crevice, trapped somewhere, maybe caught up in some vegetation. Even worse, he could be injured or maybe even dead. And if the sheep hasn't hurt himself already, then being alone and away from the flock means he has now opened up to predators. And sheep cannot save themselves, which makes them the perfect animal to represent us, right? 
Tim Keller says that, that if, if we could save ourselves, then the Bible would portray us as dogs or cats, maybe something noble like a horse. No, we are portrayed in the scriptures as sheep. That's the story that Jesus is telling. That you and I, human beings, we're helpless sheep. I mean, it's a pretty thinly veiled parable. Like he's, he's not hiding it from us. Humans are like sheep. We're tempted to go after things that look delicious, but to get trapped in them, to get caught in them. What sheep need, what we need is a shepherd. A shepherd who can help us, lead us, protect us. And praise God, the father is a shepherd for sheep. Now, since you don't know a lot, like sheep and shepherds, you don't know a lot about sheep probably. We also probably don't know a lot about shepherds. So I wanna just kind of bring this into our terms. So parents, how many of you have taken your children to the beach? Like probably a lot of you. How many of you have taken multiple children, at least, at least two or more to the beach, like under the age of like six years old? Like that's a different experience. <laughs> Now, I want you to imagine that scene. Think about the crowded beach from your beach chair. You know, the beach chair that you never get to sit in as a parent. But think about it from that chair. You've got in front of you the ocean. It's beautiful. Uh, behind you, what do you have? Like big hotels, maybe. Uh, maybe a parking lot or a street. And from side to side, it's just strangers in swimsuits. 20 other kids running around that all kind of look like yours from behind. It's, and then, you know, it's just sand everywhere. And as you're working like a good parent, you're down sitting in the sand, making your sand castle, uh, you're looking up like every like 40 seconds maybe. And what do you do? One, two, three, uh-oh, where's four? And now you're, and now you're, you're up, like you're thinking. You're, you're, you're standing up probably. And you begin to look like your head's on a swivel now. You're looking out. You start your look. You start your search out deep. You're looking to the water. Are they in the water? I don't see them. You're coming back to the shore. Are they playing at the, at the, in the, in the edge of the waves? Nope, not there. Okay, side to side. I'm looking to these families around me. I'm looking down, up and down the beach. You're up now. Like you're walking around. And what do you begin to do? You're moving faster. You're shouting their name. Some of you are doing this in a much more calm way than others of us would be. Uh, but, but I don't care if you're the calmest parent in the room. Let me tell you what you don't do. You don't say, well, at least I still got three. <laughs> None of you. No, why? Because one, two, three, and four, they are not numbers. They belong to you. They are your heart. They're precious souls with little bitty toes, some of them. Bigger toes as they get older with sticky food fingers. All entrusted to you, their smiles, their laughter. They're yours. They're your flesh and blood, your heritage, arrows in your quiver. These aren't, they're, they're not numbers. They're a treasure. In fact, he's going to say later about the coin. He's teaching us this is the treasure that is God's sheep. He sees them as a treasure. And so what do you do? You leave. I'm going to leave the other three. They seem to be all right. Not because you don't care about them, not at all. You're running off. They're found already. 
And people will make objections in this story to all sorts of things. Like, oh, how does he leave the other 99 sheep? Kind of puts them in danger, doesn't it? What if the predators come for them? Is he, is he punishing the obedient sheep? And they had a place that they were going. They might be hungry still. They were trying to get home. Why is he leaving them alone now? They, were they gonna let this one sheep ruin the whole thing? Look, don't, don't be confused. This is a parable. Uh, and, and I think it's important to remember our heavenly father, the, the good shepherd, he is omniscient. He can, he can still care for the 99 while he goes for the one. So let's not read the parable too woodenly. But whether it's sheep number 57 or sheep number 100, the father treasures each sheep. Why? It's not because of their intelligence. We've already talked about that. Why doesn't the shepherd just say, uh, again, I guess we'll just buy another one. No, each sheep belongs to him. A missing sheep is a heartache to the shepherd. He feels it. A stray sheep is a loss. He values it. He, 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 his heart is connected to the sheep. That lost coin the, that has value to the father. He would never not just search for it. He would never not go after his lost sheep. Do, do you recognize your value that way? Your value to the Lord? Not, not your comparative value. Like, man, I really do. I kind of stand above the rest, don't I? Um, no, not that. That's pride. Uh, it's not, look, look at me. I'm, I'm sure God really does love me. No, not your, not your comparative value, but, but that he loves you because he's loving and because he treasures you. Do you feel the great worth that the father has given you? Students, I, I know like it can be really like being a teenager, like I know there's probably a number of teenagers in the room, like a lot, a lot of you guys, it, it can feel like, there are just times where it's just easy to feel like you don't mean much, like where you're not worth much. But you are. It, it's, not, it's not humility to say, uh, I'm nobody. That's not humility, so don't, don't buy into that. That's, it's, it's false humility, actually, that downplays and denies the value that the Lord has given you, that he's assigned to you. The psalmist doesn't say, who is man? I'm worthless. No, he says, who is man? That you're mindful of me, that you love me, that you've given me a role and a life and responsibility. Who am I that you would do that, but you did it? But it's not just you that he values. So how can we despise when he wants to bring others in and give them value? That's what the Pharisee is doing, isn't he? The Pharisees are complaining. Why are you pursuing wicked sheep? Why, are you, why do you care about the rebellious ones? But that's their view of God. Their vision of God is God is in his temple. God is holy. And he waits for pure worshipers to approach him. And anyone who, who would approach must, must cleanse themselves, must make themselves pure so that they might approach the Lord in his temple. And there is some truth to that, but it is, not the, it is not the worshiper that cleanses himself. It is the Lord that cleanses the worshiper. And, and Jesus is saying, God is different than what you've thought him to be. He is holy, but he does not simply sit back and wait. He's not waiting in the lounge chair on the beach. He's going 
And he doesn't just pursue the clean. He doesn't just pursue the holy. He pursues the lost, the dirty, the sinful. That's why I think Jesus is using sheep in the parable. What did those 99 even do anyway? How did they deserve to be there? They didn't. They weren't good decision makers. They probably all spent turns like being the one. They're not the hero of the story. It's not a parable about obedient sheep who follow the shepherd. No, they're, they're, just, they're just as dumb. This is a story about the father's heart for the lost. He's not sitting back and waiting. He's not in the sheep pen holding, just gonna stay, I'll just stay and see if they come. No, his heart, look at his heart. Look at his heart for sinful sheep he's seeking. Look at his heart as Christ leaves heaven to seek and to save. Not wishing that any should perish, we read in scripture. See his heart for the sheep, that even as you see his grief, as he laments over the straying flock of Israel, the sheep who have rejected their shepherd, he, and he, as he says to them through tears, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you. He wants to gather them. That's the father's heart. So, so we see his heart now. Look at what he does. Number three, look to the shepherd's rescue. Verse five says, when he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. This sounds like awful. Um, it's like the CrossFit of, uh, of Bible times, right? Like it's just pick up a sheep and throw it on your shoulder. I, that picture we looked at earlier, like ha- have fun with that. Uh, picking up the sheep, it's amazing. But notice what he's not doing. It doesn't say he spanked the sheep. It doesn't say, and he kicked the sheep all the way home. In fact, uh, he knows, the shepherd knows that the lost sheep, when he sees the shepherd, is very likely not to follow the shepherd back. That's why he picks him up. He carries him. And how does he carry him? Grunting, grudgingly? Ugh. No, joyfully. He's, he's full of joy. And he calls his friends. Look at verse six. And coming home, he calls his friends and his neighbors together, saying to them, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. And in both stories, whether it's the the lost sheep when he's found or the lost coin when it's found, what happens? They throw a party. Like, it makes me wonder, like how often did lost sheep parties happen? (laughs) Jesus was, was showing the Pharisees, the father's not like you. You complained that lost sheep were even being given a chance. But the shepherd is out here rejoicing, calling others to rejoice when they come home. Think about it. Jesus, Jesus can actually tell us what heaven's like. That's what he does here. He says, you know what happens in heaven when a sinner repents? I'll tell you about it because I've been there. Heaven rejoices. Heaven is joyful when a sinner is carried home It's a party. The angels, the heavenly realms, all rejoicing. God is sharing his joy. I think God's even sharing his joy with us. But go to the direct context. Jesus is saying to to the Pharisees, this is my ministry. My ministry is to seek and save sinners, the lost sheep, to carry them home. And you of all people, you should rejoice. It's a group celebration. You're supposed to be shepherds too. 
Like you should be carrying lost sheep home, bringing home strays. And I want you to rejoice with me when I bring them home. Christ to the good shepherd. He's come and he's bringing Gentile sinners. He's bringing all sorts of unsavory types into the fold. He's calling them in. And, and he's saying, instead, Pharisees, you've judged these sinners as unworthy. You're not celebrating because you think they're undeserving. So you're refusing. But because they won't rejoice, he's telling them there's greater joy for the rescue of this one than for the 99 who don't need to be found. And get this, this is, this is overstatement. Are there 99 who don't need to be found? No, there's not a single one who doesn't need to repent. Look at verse seven. This is where he says it. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. It says it again in verse 10. I tell you in the same way, there's joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. And, and hasn't this been Christ's call all along that I didn't come for the well? I didn't come, I didn't come for those who didn't know that they were sick. That's, I came for sick people. I came for lost people. That doesn't mean he doesn't care about the rest. No, it means he wants us to see we're all the lost. We're all the sick. That's, that's been all of our stories. I can think of a couple types of people that, that might be here this morning who might miss the depth of this kind of rescue. First, some of you, some of you feel uh, that you, you feel lost, but you've misunderstood God and you, you can't fathom that God would miss you that God would pursue you, that he would seek you. The idea that he would come looking for you is like ridiculous to you. Like you imagine him rather to be disgusted with you. He's not joyful toward you. You, you view yourself as not worth the trip. You, you imagine that if the father were to come, if the good shepherd were to come to you, that, that there would be no celebration, that his face would be disgusted, that you would need to pay him back somehow. Earn your way. And this wrong view of the father causes you to reject his grace, to ignore his offer of forgiveness, to say, man, I know it's not like that. It's too good to be true. If that's you today, look to the shepherd. The shepherd did not come for good sheep. He did not come for good sheep. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and I lay my life down for the sheep. If you feel lost today, don't retreat from the Lord. Cry out to him and he will come. He will save you. He will rescue you. He'll forgive you. He'll bring you back home. I think there's another group that's here that some of you, some of you have never felt lost at all. In fact, you feel so found that you don't ever remember the shepherd carrying you. When someone asks you, when did Christ rescue you? You're not even sure how to answer. You maybe even go, you know what? I, I've really always been a Christian. Like, I, I don't think I've ever really strayed. And certainly, it, it may feel that way for, for, for many Christians. Maybe you were raised hearing the gospel and you believed. What a blessing to grow up in the church hearing of the truth of Christ and believing from an early age. But listen, I want you to hear this. Whether you believed in the grace of Christ at six or 96, if you're a Christian, there was only one way in. Christ had to rescue you and carry you home. 
The prophet Jeremiah says, the human heart is desperately sick. Romans 3 says, no one seeks after God. There's no one righteous. And I think this view of human sinfulness, like it's not a popular thing. And, and, and may, maybe you get it as a theological concept. And, and you may go, yeah, well, I mean, but I never really strayed that far from the fold. Listen, the Bible says you started far from the fold. That, that like your original parents, Adam and Eve, our hearts were bent towards sin from the beginning. We wanted to go to the crevice. And, and then we found ourselves there slaves to sin, unable to rescue ourselves, no way to get out, no way to carry ourselves back to the shepherd. No, you didn't just wander a few feet away. You fell into a chasm. And until the shepherd showed up, you were destined to die there, to suffer apart from the father in hell. And listen, if you never see that about yourself, then, you, then you'll never know his rescue. Until you see the depth of your sin, you'll never see the beauty of the gospel. Isaiah 53 says this, we all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. And, and if, you, if you don't believe that part, if you, if you go, yeah, yeah, not, I mean, I kind of stay near the flock, I don't know. Um, if you don't catch that part, then you'll, then you'll miss this part. And the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. The Lord has laid our sin upon Christ for the iniquity of us all. It goes on in verse, uh, in verse seven. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shearers. This is the good news. The good news is this. The good shepherd, Jesus, is the only shepherd who became a sheep. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the lamb of God went into the chasm for you so that he might emerge from the grave carrying you on his shoulders with him. He loves sinners so much that Christ was cast out that they might be saved. The shepherd was sent away, cut off from the land of the living so don't gloss over your predicament. Look at it. See your sinful predicament. Repent from every other thing that you thought might could rescue you because it can't. And then cry out for Jesus. Cry out for the good shepherd. Lord, save me. Save me. He'll do it. He does it. If that's you, if you, if you feel like, man, I, I don't know if I've ever been rescued if you've never really believed that Christ has, has forgiven you or rescued you, brought you back to his family, then, then ask him today. Believe today. Trust him today. Ask one of us after the service. Pray with someone after the service. We would love to talk to you about it. He leaves the 99 for lost sheep like you and me. Which leads to our last point, how this changes us. Christians, you can't stop seeing this. 
Like you've got to see it a lot, like daily. We need to know it and see it regularly. When, when you see what Christ has done for you, how he has rescued you, how he's making you new, it changes everything about how you see others. And that's what the Pharisees were missing. When we see ourselves as rescued sheep, we're changed people. And even more, it'll change our community. We'll have a different church. I want you to get that. The degree to which our church believes that we were indeed the lost is the degree to which we will care about the lost. Listen to that again. The degree to which our church believes that we were indeed lost is the degree to which we will care about the lost. The Pharisees didn't see it. They wanted sinners and tax collectors to be cut off, to be cast out, to stay away. They thought the, the father was, cared more about raising the walls of the sheep pen. But they, they didn't know that God's heart was for the sheep outside the pen. Why? Why didn't they know it? Because they never thought they were lost sheep. They never knew. And if you don't believe that the good shepherd gave his life for you to be brought in, then you'll never care if others are brought in. Until you see how he loved you, you won't be propelled to love them. You'll never go to the ends of the earth for lost sheep. So, so what would it take? What would it take for the lost sheep in your life and in mine for you to go after them, for them to find the rescuer, the shepherd in you and in our church? Let me ask, ask practically, like, do, you, do you despise the number of people that are moving into Tomball, moving into Houston? Do you see the new roads coming in every week and the trees coming down and the subdivisions going? And look, I, I love the trees, That's, it is sad. Uh, but do you see it and think, ah, oh, they're ruining it all. They're just ruining everything. Let me, can I just challenge this for a minute? God has all of these people moving into the Houston area. Some estimates are 2,000 plus people a week moving to Houston. He's bringing the lost sheep to, you, to us, bringing the nations here. Lost sheep, lost coins all around. So th there may be less trees. As Joni Mitchell said, they, they may be paving paradise and putting up a parking lot. But, but could we adopt a different view of this? that God is saturating this place with more and more image bearers of his. That means there's more lost sheep in your neighborhood, more lost coins at your favorite coffee shop or restaurant. Those cars that you're having to fight for parking spots at Target, filled with souls, many of whom need to know that there's only one who can give a soul rest. There's more sheep who need rescue working out at your gym. They're always on the machine right in front of you. So just stand there, talk to them. Wait a little longer. There was a ton of people here last weekend. It was, it was so encouraging, so amazing. So many people who are not part of our church that were here, praise God. But for, for you longtime Redeemer folks, do you sometimes lament going, man, I wish I knew everyone. Do you long for the old days? Oh man, it was, way, it was way cooler when I knew everybody's name at church. Like, hey, I miss that too. 
Like a small sheet pen is cozy. But are you tempted to despise the sinfulness and lostness of those around you, of the, the sinfulness of your kids' friends, the language they use? Do you worry about the Buddhist kid that, that, your, that, your, that your son or daughter has befriended at school or the LGBTQ neighbor who has moved in next door? Do you despise the lost? Do you see yourself in them? Like, I think those are the options. We can either despise them or we can see our lostness when we see theirs. Church, let's ask expectantly that Jesus would give us the joyful honor of carrying lost sheep back to the shepherd. When I think about people at our church who have a a heart for lost sheep, I think of many of you. I was reminded this week, I was talking with Mandy Oda. Many of you know her. She's been a servant in our church for a number of years. But Mandy was a precious lost sheep. She was invited to come to church by Brandon and Andrea Eads uh, many years ago. Mandy and I were talking this week and she still remembers sitting at the back of uh, Tomball Junior High when we used to meet there and she was just weeping in the back as the Good Friday service was finishing. And she was weeping, never having really heard the gospel before. She's like, I I didn't ever get it. And she, she believed. The Lord saved her. I'm reminded of our brother, Lee Curry, who every week it's like, hey, hey, I got somebody to introduce you to. I met him at HEB yesterday. They came to church today. Man, praise God. I think of last week at the egg hunt. We're out here and all of us have our kids and everybody's playing and the egg hunt's over and up walks this family uh, with a three or four-year-old little girl. Uh, and, and we're, you know, later we're talking about this and I think we're putting the pieces together. I don't even think they came to the right place. I don't think they meant to be here. They were just here. But as their little girl was standing there with her empty basket and the egg hunt was over, Kathy Birch goes over and I think she just stole eggs out of her kids' baskets. And she goes and she makes her own little Easter egg hunt on the playground and then lets that little girl go and hunt for her own kids' Easter eggs. Why? Why did she do that? Because she cares about lost sheep. And there's so many other stories. I think of the hope of planting a church in Cyprus where our brother Travis Bowles has started hanging out in coffee shops. He's got a gym membership over there. Why? Because he likes driving to the gym? No, because he cares about lost sheep. He can meet sheep there who need to know the Savior. I think of our sister Jessica Gann, whose heart was so broken for the lost sheep in Japan that she said, I'm leaving it all and I'm going. And, and every week I can't help but think of this when, when I talk to our sister Maggie Harden, who's a teacher at Tomball High School. And Maggie, there's just an, another student who is on her heart that she's trying to love, trying to share the hope of the gospel. She sees these lost sheep and she just wants them to know. She wants them to know the shepherd. And I, I, could, I could go on for a while like this. There's so many of you I know that love the lost because you see that Christ has saved you. I, I, I almost get, it's almost emotional when I see uh, lately, this has happened two or three times. There'll be a couple standing in the, in the foyer before the service and I'm out there talking to them and I start to walk away and I think we're all gonna walk in, but they stay and they're like, oh, sorry, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna stay here. There's a friend of ours, we've invited him to church and we really hope they're coming. We're gonna stay and see if they come. So they're gonna wait in the foyer before they come in because they wanna see if their lost friend's coming. When you know what Christ has done for you, when you see that, he, that you were one of the sheep that he came after, 
you'll be filled with the heart of the Father to go after the lost sheep. What sort of community will we be? Will we be the kind of community that despises the lost? That loathes sinners? That wants to keep them at a distance? Will we mock our political differences? Will we turn our noses up at their sin? Or will we be a community of men and women and students and children where it just sometimes it gets a little messy? Because we revel in the fact that we were lost and so we just want lost people to come in. And we wanna get into the mess of their life and go for them. We want them to be rescued and transformed by the good shepherd the way we were. And so church, let us not keep our distance. Let us not hope they'll go away. Let us not despise them and stay in our comfort, in our bubble. But let's go to them. Let's invite them in. Let's point them to the shepherd. And may the sheep, the lost sheep of Tomball, of Cypress, Spring, Magnolia, Houston, the nations come to know our shepherd as we go to them. Let me pray for us. Oh, Father, where would we be? Where would we be if you had not come to us? If you had not loved us in our lostness, that while we were sinners, where would we be if Christ had not died for us? But now here we are with a family we don't deserve, with love from the Father that we haven't earned. Lord, you've done so much for us with an eternity ahead of us that's ours because of Christ. Lord, would, would you help us to rejoice as the sheep who've been found? And Lord, would that stir in us love for the lost? Lord, would you transform our church? Would you change the hearts of the people of Redeemer that we would love lost people? We wouldn't see them as projects, that we would see them as people that you love. Lord, do a work in us. Help us to treasure what you've done for us and to share it with others. We praise you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.